Um, this morning, um, let's pray and then, and then let's, let's get into the word. Gracious God, we now pray that as I open up the word and as I preach and teach to your, uh, to your children, may you give us a fresh word, may you give us new insight, and may we come away transformed. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This week, actually, um, every Tuesday morning, uh, the church staff, which is our worship pastor and our youth pastor and myself, we get together every single Tuesday morning and we talk not only about our weekly sermons, but the series that are coming up even months into the next year. And every week we talk and we plan and we say, how do we make this thing that I'm trying to teach, how do we make it more visible? How do we make it more tangible? So when we were, when I was beginning to discuss the Advent, right, Advent is Christmas, but for us we call it the Advent, the coming or the arrival, I said to them, this year it has to be deeply theological. It has to be deeply theological, meaningful, and we have to give more than just God's gift of salvation is the best gift of all, or God's love is the best gift of all. What I said is this has to be deeply theological because if we are not careful, Christmas can hijack the true meaning of the birth of Christ. Amen? And so, and so as, I, as I talked to them, and I had worked a couple of days for hours on it, I said, this is what I want to say to the church. And both of them just looked at me and, and were thinking, like, how, that, how are you going to say that? How are we going to put that into tangible ways? And then they said, how is that a Christmas sermon series? To which I said, it is everything. So this morning... The title of our sermon is, God is Nowhere. But as you heard through the Reader's Theater, the words up there, the letters up there, can either say, God is nowhere, or God is now here. Christmas and Advent is about that paradox, that struggle of he is here, but he is not fully here. So with that in mind, I, wanna, I want us to jump into this deeply theological study, all right? And I know if you're visiting, you're just like, this is why I don't like to come to church. <laughs> I promise you we'll do the best that we can, and uh, if you're open to it, um, God will give you um, a fresh word. So I want to begin by saying this, waiting is the worst. I hate when I have to wait for anything. I hate when I'm in the car wash and I'm three cars back and I don't want to wait. I hate being at the grocery store and having to wait, even if the person in front of me only has one item. I hate waiting when I order something on the internet and FedEx takes a day longer than they were supposed to. I hate waiting. I hate waiting. (laughs) You've heard my stories. I've tracked down trucks around the city and asked them for my package. God is still at work in me. I hate waiting for tax returns. Amen? (laughs) that's awesome i hate waiting for christmas morning until i get to open my gifts because as adults we know christmas is all about the kids but there's a big part of us that's like but i still wonder what my wife or what my husband bought for me and for some of you you're thinking i can't wait until church service is over we're gonna go past 12 this morning but i promise that god will bring a fresh word to you But waiting goes against the very fibers of our beings. Waiting is difficult. It can be terribly difficult, especially if you're waiting for somebody you love. If you're waiting for your lover, waiting can be extremely painful. 
If you haven't seen somebody you love, a friend, husband, or wife, maybe they took a trip and you're waiting to see them and you know they're going to be gone for a week and it's for a good reason, but you still, you long to see that person because they are supposed to be there with you always. Waiting is difficult for us. And for some people, waiting for the day that Christ will come can be terrifyingly difficult, especially when you don't know how to wait well. Sometimes we run the danger of giving up on Jesus as we wait. We have the following thought, maybe Jesus isn't coming after all. And if we're not careful, those thoughts begin to linger in our minds. And if that is your story, and if those are the words that you have thought, even if you've been Adventist or another type of Christian or not a Christian at all, and you think maybe Jesus isn't coming to you, I direct you to the words of Scripture The words of Jesus when he says, I am coming soon. Four times in the book of Revelation, Jesus uses this words. And only in the book of Revelation is Jesus quoted as saying that he is coming. So in Revelation 3, 11, he says, I am coming. In Revelation 22, verse 7, he says, see, I am coming soon. In in chapter 22, verse 12 of Revelation, Jesus says, See, I am coming soon. And just a few verses before the last book of the Bible, in Revelation 22, 20, Jesus says, Surely I am coming soon. That word surely may sound poetically beautiful in our ears, but when Jesus uses the word surely, he is making an emphatic declaration that he indeed will come again. It is Christ's solemn assurance that he is coming. The word advent simply means the coming of or the arrival of. I mean, it's built into the name of who we are. Seventh day what? Adventists. Christians all around the world during this time of the year, for five weeks, we celebrate what is called the advent which is that Jesus came once 2,000 years ago and Jesus will surely come again. We are a people that wait. We are a people that are learning to wait well. But my question to you this morning is, are we indeed known for people, as a people rather, who wait well? Our Seventh-day Adventists, are you as a believer, do you know how to wait well? So, this week, some of you have may, have been, may have been keeping up with this, but it kind of goes to answer the question I just asked, what are Seventh-day Adventists known for? People think we're crazy. Last night, for instance, um, we met with, a, there's a church that meets here on Sunday mornings, Trinity Presbyterian, and I invited Pastor Kim, and I said, hey, why don't you join us for our candle lighting service to get Advent started? And he says, that'll be an awesome idea. He says, I'm not sure how many of my church members will show up because, you know, they're going to there's going to be probably a few people feeling you out, you know, because there's, there's some kind of baggage. He didn't say that word, but there's some kind of thoughts that come with the words Seventh-day Adventist. I think David Koresh was far-removed Adventist, and he was crazy, all right? So, so we have to deal with some of this. So this past week, something else happened. Um, there was a guy by the name of Angus T. Jones from the show Two and a Half Men. He is that guy on that side. Did you guys hear about this? Seventh-day Adventist now. So a part of us is like, all right, he's on our team. The problem, (laughs) all the media coverage that we see 
calls us almost kind of like we're crazy cultish people. Now, we are crazy, but we're not a cult, right? Amen? Because if they took time to meet with some of us, we're pretty crazy, but we're not a cult. But the media, and I say that tongue-in-cheek, by the way, we're not, that we're crazy. But the media sees, or the world sees Seventh-day Adventists as we're kind of crazy, fringe, weird people. They're a cult. Don't go there. You know, be, be anything else but a Seventh-day Adventist. And it's funny because as a church, right, as a church, we're like, you know, everybody on Facebook is like, hey, look at this awesome thing, right? And, you know, he, look at this awesome Hollywood guy. He is now a Seventh-day Adventist, almost as though the fact that he now becomes Adventist, it almost like it validates us, right? Like, we're not, see, we're not that crazy, except Except that we, we kind of like that. Like, yeah, you see, Hollywood, we be like, you know, we're the new Kabbalah or whatever it is, right? Come join us. But the truth is, is that no number of Hollywood A-list actors can ever validate our faith or our church. We are not validated by actors becoming Adventists, but by the very words of Jesus when he says, surely I am coming soon. There is a picture of what happens when Jesus comes. And I don't have this on the screen, so if you'll just listen carefully, I'll read slowly. Revelation 22, verse 1 and 2. And this is what it says. It says, Then the angel, the angel of God, showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. So this is all imagery, right? There's a river, signifies the river of life. Life-giving power comes from the throne or from God. So this is what this is saying. Life, real life comes from God. On either side of the river is the tree of life. Now the tree of life first shows up in, the, in Genesis chapter, what is it, two or three? One of those two, right? Chapter two. And the tree of life is, in essence, is a representation of God and how God is the only one who gives life. So at the end, right, when God renews the earth, this is a vision that the tree of life again appears because God is the only one who can allow us and sustain us to live forever. So it says on either side of the river is the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit for the 12 tribes of Israel. So that we'll get into another time. And listen to this, producing its fruit each month, 12 tribes, 12 months. So he's using imagery. This is constant. All year long, there is, this tree is producing fruit, okay? So it's continually giving life. And now get this, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of nations. When God comes to renew all things, the picture that the scripture shows us is a world of peace and a world where all nations are healed. And all that means is there will be peace because God will be present and there will no longer be need for war or strife. There will be no genocide. There will be no disease. There will be no shortage of medicine. There will be no shortage of health care to people in Africa or other parts of the world. There will be no shortage of all that we need for life because God will be present. As a Seventh-day Adventist church, that's what we point to. We say we long for the day that God will renew and put everything right once again. Another picture that we see in Isaiah chapter 11. I don't know if I had this part. Nope. Another picture of, of the future, of the future world that God wants to create is in Isaiah, one of the prophets in the Old Testament, chapter 11. 
Verses 6 through 9 say this. The wolf shall live with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the winged child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. The essence is that in this future world that God will establish, animals won't eat animals. We don't have to be afraid of dogs, <laughs> if you're afraid of dogs, or birds, whichever is your flavor. But you will not have to be afraid of all of the things we are afraid of. We can have, um, we can be friends with lions. I, I don't know if we'll make them pets, you know, in this future reality. But, you know, we can pet them, and we don't have to be afraid. This is what we mean when we say that Jesus is coming soon, is that Jesus is coming to establish something brand new. But it's very difficult for us to imagine that world when when we just look around us, we see so much pain and destruction. For many people, Jesus hasn't come soon enough. The tree of life isn't growing leaves that will heal the nations, let alone our relationships or healing our illnesses or diseases. In our world, the wolf doesn't lay next to the lamb. Instead, the wolf eats the lamb. The leopard doesn't lay down with the child, but it might devour it. The cow doesn't graze with the bear. The cow is the bear's graze. The reality is, is that life as we know it isn't all fun and games. In fact, it's quite the opposite. It's filled with sadness, depression, despair, anxiety, and work. It's filled with needless evil and despair. It can often feel like in the daily grind of life that God is in fact nowhere. If we allow ourselves to take our eyes off of the fact and the promise that Jesus is not only coming, but he has come. And the fact that Jesus was born birthed a new reality for us. If we take our eyes off of that, we might fall into a a sense of depression because we might think God is in fact nowhere. So if you have your study guides in front of you, I would say this, that Advent is a yearly reminder for you to take time to reflect on the future reality of the way the world will be when God renews it. Advent is a yearly reminder. I would then say this, that Advent is not just about the future but it is how the future reality of God's world is infinitely connected to the life you live today. Jesus is coming to renew all things, but Jesus has already come once in his birth, and he births what Jesus would call the kingdom of heaven. Number three, you would say this, Advent is a season when we are reminded that Jesus came once, and something actually happened through his birth. A new reality was born. It is what Jesus called the kingdom of heaven and also the kingdom of God. We don't just gather here 
so that we can feel better for the week that is to come. I would say that's the wrong reason to come to church. We don't just gather on Sabbath morning so that we can be filled and have our quotient fill of God. That's not what we do. We gather here to sing praises to the fact that God is our king, God is real in this world, and we are paying homage and worship to the God that is worthy of worship on Saturday mornings. Which is why it's not so much about what happens here, but it's about what's happening in your hearts as you sit there. As we sing, as we praise, as we pray, as we read, as we listen to Scripture. We're here opening our hearts to say that, God, we give you our very best. You are worthy of worship, and we only want to worship you. When we come here, we're emptying ourselves. But so many of us come so that we can be filled. We gather on Sabbath mornings to remember the Advent. It is built into the DNA of our faith and our church's name. We are Seventh-day Adventists. But the question I want to ask you now is, how do we live into the future reality of God today? I want to echo the words of Psalm 137. The Israelites were in exile, which basically means that the nation of Israel... Babylonians came and they dispersed everybody because they didn't want the Israelites to revolt. So they took them and scattered them all over the kingdom. And so the Israelites, this is what they say. How could we sing the Lord's songs in a foreign land? In essence, I would say that what they were saying is, we're no longer in Jerusalem, the city of God as they understood it. We have nothing. We are in exile. We are just one or two scattered all around. How can we sing songs of the Lord in a foreign land when we have almost nothing to be thankful for? I would say that these are our words sometimes. Just went through a divorce. I'm going through a divorce. I've lost my job. I've been out of a job for months. My child is sick. My mom is sick. My father's passed away. I don't have enough to pay the bills. I don't have enough to feed my children. I'm not even going to be able to buy my children gifts. To those things we say, how can we sing songs of the Lord when there is so much sadness, darkness, and pain in this world? But that's why we have Advent. You see, we, in essence, are exiles in this land. The Bible tells us that this isn't the reality that we will live in our entire lives. The Bible paints a picture that God will renew and restore and make everything new. In the book of Revelation, it says that the new Jerusalem, which is code word for, Bible, for the Bible writers to say that the city of God, where God is present, the city of God will descend from the heavens and it will establish itself here. But you didn't know that what we, when we say heaven, heaven will be this earth, but it will be renewed. Did you know that? That's what the Bible says. So that's why when I refer to, the light, to this world, it's, we're still intimately connected to this. This is still God's plan for all eternity for us to live here. Not in the same state as things are, but where everything is perfect and as it should be. But we are exiles. And as exiles, we need things to point to to remind us that God is alive. How can we sing songs of God's sovereignty We can sing them because God has come and is coming again. And so the question, the transition is, what can we point to that will help us to have hope? 
So I want to share with you a story. Now, I asked a couple of people, and they said, paraphrase it, but I didn't learn it well enough. I know the story, but I don't know all the points. So if you'll, if you'll bear with me, it's just half a sheet long, but I want you just to listen and try to picture this. The story comes um, from a book I read called The Green Cord Dream. Um, for those of you who are not familiar with our faith, with our church, um, one of our founders, her name is Ellen White, and so she's one of the founders of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Not only that, but she, has, she wrote, because she's passed away now, but she wrote tons and tons and tons of things. And so here she writes and she reflects a dream that she had. So just bear with me. You have to read it. I promise it'll make sense. So this is her telling her dream. Soon after this, I had another dream. I seemed to be sitting in abject despair, maybe where we find ourselves sometimes, with my face in my hands reflecting like this. If Jesus were upon earth, I would go to him, throw myself at his feet, and tell him all of my sufferings. And he would not turn away from me. He would have mercy upon me, and I would love and serve him always. Just then the door opened, and a person of beautiful form and countenance entered. He looked upon me pitifully and said, Do you wish to see Jesus? He is here, and you can see him if you desire it. Take everything you possess and follow me. I heard this with unspeakable joy and gladly gathered up all of my little possessions, every treasured trinket, and followed my guide. He led me to a steep and apparently frail stairway. And I began to ascend the steps. He cautioned me, to keep my eyes fixed upward, lest I should grow dizzy and fall. Many others were climbing the steep ascent, fell before gaining the top. Finally, we reached the last step and stood before a door. Here, my guide directed me to leave all the things that I had brought with me. I cheerfully entered. In a moment, I stood before Jesus. So this is a dream she's having. There was no mistaking that beautiful countenance, that expression of benevolence and majesty, could belong to anyone else but God. As his gaze rested upon me, I knew at once that he was acquainted with every circumstance of my life, all of my inner thoughts and feelings. I tried to shield myself from his gaze, feeling unable to endure his searching eyes, but he drew near with a smile, laying his hand upon my head and said, Fear not. The sound of his sweet voice thrilled my heart with a happiness it had never experienced before. I was too joyful to utter a word, but I was overcome with emotion and sank prostrate at his feet. While I was lying helpless there, scenes of beauty and glory passed before me. I seemed to have reached the safety and peace of heaven. At length, my strength returned and I arose. The loving eyes of Jesus were still upon me, and his smile filled my soul with gladness. His presence awoke in me a holy reverence and an inexpressible love. My guide now opened the door, and we both passed out. He bade me take up again all the things that you had left outside. This done, he handed me a green cord coiled up closely. He directed me, now listen to this, okay? He directed me to place... To place next my heart the green coil when I wish to see Jesus. Take it from my bosom and stretch it to the utmost. So stretch it. He cautioned me not to let it remain coiled for any length of time. 
lest it should become knotted and difficult to straighten. I placed the cord near my heart and joyfully descended the stairway, praising the Lord and telling all whom I met um, where they could find Jesus. I think I messed part of the story up, but he's, the angel says to her, anytime you're feeling down, despair, suffering, and like you're losing hope, stretch out that green cord and remember that God's presence is always there with you. Dreams can be extremely powerful. Now, regardless of whether you believe this was meaningful or not, the fact is that it's meaningful because it is true about God, that God is present for you always. One of the things I would say that um, a lot of times as Christians, we, we don't really embrace the Christmas season because people will say, well, the Christmas trees and the wreaths and the this and the that have pagan origin and the this, and somehow the Illuminati always makes his way into things and the Jesuits and all those things. And, and so we say, so we won't do any of that, but I, I, would, I would challenge all of you now that Christmas season, the red cups from Starbucks, the peppermint mochas, the decorations, Bing Crosby's songs, Nat King Cole's, those are my playlists right now, um, the scarves, the ugly Christmas sweaters, and the even uglier Christmas sweaters, the gingerbread houses, the gingerbread cookies, the, what else do we do for Christmas? Fruitcake. Yeah, okay. The fruit cake and the fruit cakes. No, I'm just saying, oh, no, no, that's wrong. Um, I don't even know what that means. I just thought it would be funny. I would suggest that all of those things, the tangible things, are actually a gift from God. And that in one way or another, all of these things of Christmas are like the green cord of Ellen White's dream. Every time that we encounter, every time that we enjoy a Christmas song, even if it doesn't mention Jesus, that every time we hang an ornament on our trees, these tangible things are God's green cord to us during this season of Advent. That the decorations on a Christmas tree, I've heard that it's a pagan thing, but I don't know the reason behind it. You know what I think of? It's Advent. Jesus was born and is coming again. And the tree reminds me of God's everlasting love and how below the trees is that there is God's endless gift of grace and forgiveness for you. Christmas is God's green cord for us where we are reminded that we take whatever was pagan, we've hijacked it, and it's now part of God's beautiful kingdom. God made the trees. God made the green. God made all of that. And God says, enjoy it, fine. As long as you remember that the gift that I am giving you is far more and far better than any electronic, any kind of gift your parents could give you, or Santa Claus, if there's kids here. (laughs) But the truth is that we began this sermon with the words of Jesus when he says, I am coming soon. I am coming soon. And for some of us, it doesn't feel like it's long enough. But in 1 Thessalonians, Jesus also says these words. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Kind of scary imagery. But the point Jesus is trying to make is you don't know when. No one knows. Just know that I am coming. 
And again, when his believers, the early church, asked Jesus, when are you coming again? He says, they said, is it now, after his resurrection, is it now that you will establish this kingdom? Jesus replies to them, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. Jesus says he is coming soon. The soon that Jesus means is different than my kind of soon. For soon to me means I'm going to eat soon in about 20 minutes. But when Jesus says I am coming soon, maybe instead of thinking of time, we should think that when Jesus says that he is coming soon, what Jesus is actually saying is you can be certain that I will come again. Don't worry yourself about when. Don't worry yourself about how long it's going to be. Know that I am coming. I haven't forgotten you. I care about you more than you care about yourself, and I care about this world more than you ever could care about it. Please understand, I think this is what God is saying. I am coming soon, but until then, I have given you gifts of mercy, of grace, of hope, and love. I have given you the church filled with people to love, to care for, to bear one another's burdens. It may be time before Jesus comes, but it's okay. Because not only do we have God's presence now, but we have each other in this church. Not here to tear one another down, but to build one another up. We are the body of Christ. And God is calling us during this time of Advent to remember that he has not forgotten us, he has not forsaken us, and he is surely coming soon. Amen.